Welcome to the Audacity to Podcast, episode 133, the best podcast hosting options. Thank you for joining me for the Audacity to Podcast. I'm Daniel J. Lewis, and this is the award-winning how-to podcast about podcasting and using Audacity. It's where I give you the guts and teach you the tools to podcast with passion, organization, and dialogue. I want to talk to you about hosting for your podcast, web hosting and media hosting. These are the two kinds of hosting that you need to grow with your podcast. And I've got some options that you could consider, some best options and some not so best options. I'm going to actually use the term bad in the show notes over at the audacity to podcast.com slash 133. But that doesn't mean avoid them completely. And you're a terrible person if you use these. It's just not recommended. It's not the best situation. If you really want to take your podcast seriously, then take your podcast seriously. Have some actual web hosting and actual media hosting, and I'll give you several options for you to consider, some not so great ones, and then the best options for you to consider as well. First, let's start with web hosting. If your podcast does not have a website, then your podcast does not have a home on the internet. It's a homeless podcast. You know I'm not a fan of telling people to find your podcast anywhere, to say, find my podcast in iTunes, or find my podcast on Stitcher, or find my podcast, whatever. Don't do that. That's not helpful at all. What's much better is to have a home on the internet where you can just point people to that home on the internet and say, find my podcast at myawesomepodcast.com. That way, no matter what system you're using, no matter what hosting company you're using, no matter how recent or how old the information, they can always get to your podcast because you keep that domain and it is the home for your podcast. You can even take that with you, kind of like if you could take your home with you and your address with you if you move from state to state with no papers. But let's talk about web hosting then. Your your bad options for web hosting for your podcast are third-party all-in-one or not quite all-in-one, more like some-in-one services such as WordPress.com, Blogger, Blogspot, or services like that. These have their advantages and disadvantages. Blogspot or Blogger and WordPress.com have the great advantage of being really easy to set up. You just start an account and you're good to go. You start adding your content. You can choose some themes and design options, switch a couple of features here and there, and you're ready to go. Super easy setup. You also get some nice flexibility with these sites. You can change things with WordPress.com. You have certain plugins that you can work with. You can change themes. You can paste in certain information. You can switch stuff around. So you do have some flexibility there, but a big advantage to these kinds of systems are they're often free. But if you want your own domain, so you're not myawesomepodcast.wordpress.com, you can register your own domain and attach that to your account. It usually costs a little bit more, like about $27, I think is what wordpress.com charges for that. But that way, if someone visits myawesomepodcast.com, they stay on myawesomepodcast.com. But the site is powered by your free account 
with WordPress.com. They can set that up for you. So it's it's between $20 and $30 or so. I don't know what Blogger charges for that. But these are great benefits to these third-party systems. Easy, inexpensive, or completely free. But they have some disadvantages too. That is, you are really lacking total control over your website. If you want to add a specific little widget or a specific feature, you may not be able to do that with these third-party systems. You can't install your own plugins on your site to do these kinds of things. You don't have total control over your domain, how your website is run, and all of those things. When you're trying to start a podcast site, these services aren't set up for podcasting, so it's a little bit difficult. It means that you have to add FeedBurner into this mix in order to get a podcast feed from one of these kinds of services. And if you decide to leave this kind of service, it's difficult because they don't have in place every kind of redirect that you'd need. Yes, you can get some sort of redirects so that if someone visits myawesomepodcast.wordpress.com, they can be redirected to myawesomepodcast.com. But it's not as extensive and not as easy to leave. And if it matters to you, you're trying to sell a podcast, then these services don't really provide an easy way that you can offer premium podcasts through your website. So the better option I would suggest, if you want an all-in-one kind of solution, is Libsyn. L-I-B-S-Y-N. Yes, many podcasters and podcast consultants talk about Libsyn for your media hosting. I'll talk about that aspect of Libsyn in a little bit. But Libsyn also offers website hosting, not standard website hosting. It is their own system, but it is a really easy system to use. Their advantages to this are, just like with the other third-party systems, it's a very easy setup. You create your account, you're ready to go. You can start adding content, you can switch your themes around, you can paste some things in here and there. You do get some flexibility with this, albeit it's limited flexibility, but it is flexible and you can switch things around, change stuff if you want. You also get a lot of control over certain features on Libsyn that you don't even get over WordPress.com or blogger websites, especially when it comes to your RSS feed for your podcast or RSS feeds in general. Did you know you can generate multiple RSS feeds from Libsyn and have certain things go in certain feeds but not in others? That's entirely possible with your Libsyn website. And you can have the domain options for your site so that you're not just myawesomepodcast.libsyn.com, but you could be myawesomepodcast.com and that work with Libsyn's system. Libsyn is a paid system, but it doesn't cost very much. Their plans start at $5 per month and go up from there, depending on your upload needs. And we'll talk more about uploads and bandwidth and storage and all of that when we talk about media hosting. But the podcasting setup is built right into Libsyn. It's very easy to use and you can change everything about your feed, even options that Libsyn doesn't already offer for you to be able to change in your feed. You can change because they offer custom fields where you can enter in certain information. So it's very, very easy to use for podcasting and very thorough with lots of control over your RSS feed. And they are also very easy to leave. I've talked to Libsyn about this and they've implemented new features where now if you want to leave Libsyn completely, you can ask them and you pay a certain amount to implement this certain feature that they will leave a permanent redirect in place for your RSS feed and for your old website. So if you gave out 
myawesomepodcast.libsyn.com or your RSS feed from Libsyn, then they can have this permanent redirect in place so that you never lose any of your subscribers, even if you leave Libsyn completely. They also include with your Libsyn package, because most people know of them as the media hosting, well, you get the website with that. So whenever you get website hosting from Libsyn, you're getting media hosting. If you're getting media hosting, you're getting website hosting. And you get unlimited downloads. It's built into Libsyn, an integrated system. You, you're getting both of them when you sign up. And if you start out paying $7 a month or higher, you get media stats with that. The stats don't come with a $5 a month plan, but you can add basic stats for just an additional $2. That's where the $7 a month comes from. But the higher plans offer then more advanced stats and more thorough stats that you can access. With Libsyn, you can also get a mobile app for your podcast and your website to work on iOS, on Android, and even on Windows Phone, and that comes with plans that are $20 a month or higher. I'm on the current $20 a month plan, but that's for media hosting. I'll talk about that in a little bit. And Libsyn doesn't even does even offer the features for if you want to host a premium podcast where you where people pay to listen to a particular podcast. But Libsyn does has its disadvantages. For a website hosting provider, you can't add plugins like you can with WordPress. If you want to integrate certain features on your site, on WordPress, that's easy. You can just install a plugin, no problem. Libsyn, it's not quite there. And to really work within the Libsyn website system, although you do have some features for or options of templates and certain features you can enable and disable, it still does require a bit more HTML knowledge in order to change the different sites and functionality and features and design and layout, all of that kind of stuff. But you do have pre-made templates that you can choose from. So this If you want to start a podcast website, you don't want your own web hosting, you don't want to mess with WordPress, but you you should get something better than WordPress.com or Blogger, then look at Libsyn's system. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. And then use the promo code Noodle when you sign up to get your first month for free. And you can use their website to power the home for your podcast, as well as use their RSS feed to power your podcast feed. That's a L-I-B-S-Y-N. But the best solution that I recommend for you is get your own self-hosted site. Now, self-hosted doesn't mean that you are hosting it yourself, like on your own server in your house. But it does mean that you have a hosting account somewhere and your account is hosting your site. So that's what they mean by self-hosted is that your account is hosting, not WordPress.com's account or Libsyn's account, but your account. The best hosts that I recommend for this are Bluehost and HostGator. If you'd like to sign up for either of them, then please use my affiliate links, theaudacitypodcast.com slash Bluehost or slash HostGator. Having your own hosting with Bluehost or HostGator gives you a bunch of advantages and some disadvantages, but here are the core things to consider. With your own hosting, you get full flexibility. You can change your website however you want. You can use WordPress. You can use Drupal, Joomla. You could have static HTML pages if you want. You could do whatever pretty much that you want to do with your own hosting account. You're not limited to just a particular kind of setup. 
You can work with it however you want. And you also have near total control over your site, how it looks, how it functions. You can optimize things. You can not optimize things. You can upload things. You can host certain things or not host them. You have so much control with this. And it is still relatively a low cost. Nearly all shared hosting plans, well, certainly all shared hosting plans that I would recommend, like those from Bluehost and HostGator, are under $10 a month. So it really doesn't cost that much to get your own website. And that's $10 a month, but you're actually normally paying for a year in advance. And these services are built for you to have your own domain. In fact, you can't use these kinds of services without having your own domain. So my awesome podcast would be my only option for hosting, but then I can have multiple domains. I can have multiple accounts. I could run several websites from just a single account and not pay any more than that particular $8, $9, whatever, based on whatever plan that you choose from Bluehost or HostGator. And it is really easy to add podcasting to your own website if you're using WordPress and then add the PowerPress plugin. It's both of those services, WordPress and PowerPress, are free. And if you want to learn more about how to set up PowerPress, then look at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash 72. Also very important, if you have your website with Bluehost or HostGator, some kind of similar service, shared hosting, then it is very easy to leave. If you host your website with Bluehost, for example, you could just pack up your website, move it to a different server, and you have the exact same website, exact same content, everything's the same, except you're just hosting with a different company. Really easy to leave, really easy to redirect people, to change your branding, change your name, start a new podcast site, anything like that, because you're really in total control. Some of the disadvantages of this kind of service, though, are it is more complicated to set up. Now, I give extra props here to Bluehost because Bluehost makes installing WordPress super easy. It's much easier even than Fantastico. If you're familiar with cPanel and services like HostGator or other web hosting companies that use a control panel known as cPanel, you might have seen Fantastico, and that makes installing WordPress yeah a little bit easier. But Bluehost makes it really, really easy to install uh, WordPress on your site. But some of the other stuff could get more technical. When you have a problem, it could get technical. You are working with your own plugins and your own website. Now, it is still pretty easy to manage, but it's more complicated than these easy, just turnkey uh, sign up and start podcasting sites like Libsyn.com. And... I do recommend that if you get your own web hosting account, you need separate media hosting. And I'll discuss that more in a moment. But also with your own web hosting account, you'll want to get your own separate stats like Google Analytics or for podcast stats, either using Libsyn Media Hosting or Blueberry Media Hosting or Blueberry Stats on top of whatever media hosting you're using. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But you do have to add these extra services. Now, they can be added for free or for extra low cost. But those are some of the disadvantages of some of these extra things you need to bring in because you're working with shared hosting. Now comes the issue, though. You've got shared hosting, and you're hearing people talk about upgrading their websites and upgrading to a VPS or dedicated. And what does that stuff even mean? Well, first, 
there are three different types of hosting, basically three different types of web hosting out there. There are certain hybrids that are between these things. There are the weird cousins that aren't quite related to anything here. But the three basic types of hosting that you can get, like your own website, not third party, is shared hosting is the most popular way that you see many people start out. This is really inexpensive. It's typically under $10 a month, even as low as $4 a month at some places like HostGator, for example, where you can catch a special sale occasionally, and it's even cheaper. And that's called shared hosting. You are hosting your website with them, and they have several hard drives hard drives jam-packed into the server somewhere, hosting thousands of websites on a single server. So all of those websites are sharing from the same pool of resources. If one website crashes the server, then all of the other websites on that server go down. That's shared hosting. You may be considering upgrading to extra hosting options, and that would be a virtual private server, VPS, or a dedicated server. A virtual private server, or VPS, is like running your own server. Really, it is virtually your own private server. That's where that comes from, virtual private server. The way this works is it takes a single server and it splits it up into certain portions and each portion gets a dedicated allotment of the resources of that server. So in shared hosting, let's say, for example, your shared hosting has four gigabytes of RAM. All thousand websites or a couple thousand websites on that server are sharing those four gigabytes of RAM. You might be sharing a, using 100 megabytes, someone else is using 100 megabytes, someone else is using a gigabyte, and they're slowing everyone else down. So it's that pool that everyone's pulling from. In a VPS, you get your amount of RAM, and the very, very few other websites on the server, maybe just four other websites or even fewer than that, those few other websites get their dedicated amount of resources as well. That's CPU power and RAM. So if you crash your site, you won't crash the others or vice versa. They won't crash your site. This is just like running your own dedicated server with a few extra limitations. But what this, how this is virtually working is you may have heard people talk about running parallels on Mac. And this is where it allows me, because I use a Mac, it allows me to run Windows on my Mac. And the only reason I really run Windows anymore is to test Internet Explorer. But I sometimes boot up Windows, and it's running in its own little <laughs> window inside of my computer. Now, if Windows crashes, it doesn't crash the rest of my computer. It just crashed Windows inside of that window. That's the way it is with virtual private servers, that you are running a particular instance, a portion of the server, and there are all of these virtual servers running on this one server, and all of these meaning just a few, a very small handful of servers. So if one crashes, it doesn't affect the other, and each one gets its own specific amount of resources. So in, in reseller, in, in shared hosting, they'll say stuff like unlimited bandwidth, unlimited uh, downloads and storage. And they don't really mean that. But in VPS, usually you'll see definitely limited numbers. They will tell you what your limits are, and you'll be able to know if you're about to exceed those limits. So they're very hard limits, but you know what they are instead of just some vague, yeah, you have a limit, but we're not going to really tell you what it is with shared hosting. Then above virtual private servers are dedicated 
hosting. This is where instead of just running or leasing a portion of a server somewhere, you are renting the entire server. So you have full access to every bit of resources that server has, and you can do almost whatever you want with this dedicated server. It's a lot more powerful than a virtual private server. It has a lot more potential, whereas some virtual private servers might allow a maximum of four gigabytes of RAM. With a dedicated hosting server, you could have 32 gigabytes of RAM or maybe even more than that. Now that comes at a much higher cost, but you do have a lot more power and a lot more resources to work with if your website needs that. So when do you know when your website needs that? Well, your web host will often tell you that you need to upgrade, but don't believe them. The first few times that they tell you you should upgrade to VPS or dedicated server, don't believe them because there are about seven different things that you could do to your website to try and reduce how many resources it needs. Number one, you could update everything. It's very possible that there could be a plugin on your website or a script somewhere that has a bug in it. And that bug is causing some kind of loop or something on your website to mess up and it's taking a whole lot more resources than it would before. You know how sometimes when you're running a program, you've had programs crash on you before. So you're running a program and it crashes. And then your whole computer just starts slowing down because that one little program crashed or had a bug so that it started hogging all the resources like a giant vacuum. One well, old plugin could be like that same thing on your website. So make sure everything is updated. This is also very important for security to keep all your plugins and your website updated, which that could be an advantage to using a service like Libsyn where you don't have to update anything. But on your own server or hosting environment, when they tell you that you should upgrade, the second thing you could look at doing is remove your unused or unnecessary plugins, themes, databases, and other programs out there. Look at your list of WordPress plugins that you have installed, maybe not activated, but just installed. How many of them aren't activated? Delete those. If you have themes you're not using at all, delete those. Do you have any databases that you're no longer using? Or do you have uh, extra plugins or programs running on your website, like a form that you realized you never were using? And so delete that form because it could be overrun with spam now, anything like that. Try to cut it down to the bare minimums if possible. Number three, simplify your website. I know as podcasters and people who have WordPress websites, we love putting stuff on the sidebar. All of these cool widgets like the follow me here, there, 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 there. And all of these major widgets that do all of these big, massive things. Well, those things can slow down your website, can make your website hog more resources, which is making the people hosting your website say, hey, you need to upgrade or you need to go. So simplify your website a little bit. Does your site really need that totally awesome widget on the side? Now, if we're talking about subscribeandfollow.com, my social subscribe and follow icons plugin for WordPress, then yes, your website does need it. And don't worry, that's not a massive plugin. It's not hosting. It's not causing a lot of load on your site. It's a very simple plugin. I am keeping it simple so that it doesn't cause a massive load on your site. But look at things like especially the social media things where it puts in a Facebook box where you see all your latest information from Facebook or video feeds or big images, that kind of stuff. Simplify your website. Try to cut out some of the things you don't need. Also, look for things that are a bit redundant. For example, 
I'm a big fan of the Studio Press themes. Check them out at theaudacitypodcast.com slash Studio Press. These are WordPress themes that are beautifully designed, very well designed, and they have search engine optimization built into them. So since they have SEO, search engine optimization, built in, that means I don't really need an extra SEO plugin. Yeah, sure, some SEO plugins provide maybe a feature or two extra, but I might not need that. So I'm fine using just my themes SEO instead of adding an extra SEO plugin. So that's one fewer plugins that I can have on my site. So I don't need to bog down how my site and how much it needs to use of the server's resources. Number four, consider a caching plugin like W3 Total Cache and WP Super Cache, or ask your web host what caching plugin they recommend, and they can maybe even recommend what settings to use. A caching plugin does some cool magic behind the scenes because a lot of things happen on a website behind the scenes that you may not realize. When you load a website, it is looking at a database to pull all of the content. It's looking at all of these different files in order to build the page, design the way it looks, images and information, options, settings, features, all of this stuff. It's pulling all of these template files together in order to give you the page that you're looking at. So for one page, it could be doing 200 different things in order to make that one page. So a caching plugin will look at all of those 200 things, and instead of doing those 200 things every single time that same page is loaded, a caching plugin will, in a sense, take a snapshot of that page and serve that snapshot out to people. And then the caching plugins are smart enough to know that when you update that page, update the snapshot as well. So that way, when someone loads the page, they're loading the snapshot, they get the exact same experience, the exact same content. But the difference is it's loading far fewer tasks and requests in order to build that page. It's like the difference between asking someone to build a home every time you come home to having the home already built for you and just walking in conveniently use a caching plugin and ask your web host what caching plugin they recommend. So reducing these number of requests to your server can drastically reduce your load on the server and mean that you don't need to upgrade yet. Number five, you could consider using a cloud distribution network or a CDN. This is where it takes certain files of yours and distributes them across the internet or across the cloud so that when someone visits your site and downloads an image, for example. If they're in California, they're downloading that image from a server in California. But if someone else visits the same page in Texas, they might be downloading that image from a server in Texas or in Colorado or something closer to Texas. This makes websites much faster because it's distributing the resources and making those resources closer perhaps to the person who's requesting them by loading your website in their browser. And it also means those are fewer requests on your server to load those things. So instead of getting that JPEG image from your server, it's getting it from the content or cloud distribution network instead. And therefore that's one fewer requests on your server or maybe a hundred fewer requests. Look at CDN options, and one of those, number six, that you could use, and caching plugins like W3 Total Cache and such can help you set up a CDN in different ways, 
But number six is really easy to use, Cloudflare. Cloudflare will do some things where they will catch your website. They can optimize things. They can even block uh, security threats so that maybe your site is getting hammered by some people refer to it as a DDoS attack, which is, I forget what it stands for, but uh, a particular attack or different kinds of attacks where people just barrage your website with all of these requests randomly and trying to crash it. And some bot out there is doing this. Well, using a service like Cloudflare can prevent this from happening. Sometimes certain plugins leave little holes open that bots will then attack and that can crash your site then because they're bogging down your server by attacking it. But a service like Cloudflare can block those bad bots from then attacking your site and other security issues with your site to make it much more secure and load much faster. And by doing this, by optimizing in this way, you are also reducing how much load is passed on to your web hosting account and you may not need to upgrade. And number seven, remove extra websites that you may not be using anymore or don't need. Or maybe if you're using some kind of WordPress multi-site system, which I do like, maybe remove certain sites from your multi-site system. You may have noticed recently that I've been having some major performance issues with my website. That's because I merged a massive PHP BB forum into WordPress using the BB Press plugin. So now that massive forum is part of WordPress. That WordPress installation is part of WordPress multi-site. So that's affecting the other sites in the multi-site. And what I realized is there were three websites that I had that were part of the multi-site that didn't need to be part of it. That was my own personal blog, my wife's personal blog, and PodCamp Cincinnati. All three of those sites were part of this WordPress multi-site, and I had some convenient things, sure, like I could have the same username and password across all of those sites, update WordPress once, it updates across all of them. But then also I was running into issues like my personal blog, danieljlewis.net, doesn't need PowerPress because I'm not hosting a podcast from that site. It didn't need several of these plugins that I use on all of my podcast sites, but not on my personal site. Same thing with my wife's blog or with PodCamp Cincinnati's website. It didn't need all of these plugins, so I did split those out into separate websites. I removed them from WordPress multi-site and ran them as their own websites, and I did notice my server started running a lot better. Even though I still have the same websites on the same server, they're now running better because they're not part of that complicated multi-site. I've essentially removed them, but not completely removed them. In your case, you may want to completely remove a site that you're not using anymore. Certainly, any kind of old WordPress installation that you're not using anymore, get that off of your site because that could be a security issue if you're not updating that and patching those holes. So if none of those seven things work and your hosting company keeps coming back to you and saying, you are exceeding your allotted resources, you're not being fair, play nicely with the others, then your website might truly be more complicated or bigger than shared hosting can handle, and it might be time to upgrade. Now, the level of what you upgrade to really depends on a lot of things. How complicated your website is, like are you running WordPress multi-site or how many domains do you have, and especially how much traffic are you getting. Because you could have a really simple website, but if you're getting a lot of traffic on that website, then it'll crash a tiny little server or a little shared hosting account. So here are some general guidelines 
and this is just based on my own experience, you might find better guidelines out there from somewhere else. And I suggest get this information from Google Analytics, set this up on your website, and you'll be able to find this information that I'm about to share with you, what your numbers are. But do look at some of the numbers that your website or websites are getting that are in your hosting account to know if you need to upgrade. So if you've got shared hosting right now, you may want to consider upgrading to a virtual private server or VPS if you have 500 or more unique daily visitors. These are unique people visiting your site or if you have 2,000 or more daily page views. So that could be one person visiting 2,000 pages. That could be 500 people visiting four pages each, something up there. and Or especially this one is important. 20 or more simultaneous visitors to your site. This is where 20 people are loading your site at the exact same time. And once your site is loaded, there's not so much of an issue if someone else loads it while I'm still looking at your site in my browser. But it's when people are loading your site at the same time or very close to each other where I load it and five seconds later, while it's still loading for me, you load it, or while it's still cooling down from loading the page for me, you load it. That's basically two uh, simultaneous viewers. And this kind of stuff can really bog down your server. Think about what it's like on your computer if you open 10 tabs all at once inside of your favorite browser. It just slows down to a crawl. So if you open one tab at a time, though, it's okay. So that's the same thing with your website host is that if you're getting too much traffic at the same time, then it may be more than the server can handle. This especially happens if you're popular or if you tweet something and a bunch of people click on the link in your tweet right then, because especially since Twitter is so at the moment and the life of a tweet is so short. I can't remember what they actually say it is now, but it's It's very short. It's something like 30 seconds, maybe, for a tweet, depending on how many Twitters people are following. So if if 50 people click on that link within 30 seconds, that's 50 simultaneous visitors, essentially. That can bog down your account and be more than shared hosting can consider, can hold. So if you're working with that, 20 or more simultaneous visitors on a regular basis, that is, then you may want to consider upgrading to VPS. VPS isn't that expensive. I know it will sound more expensive, but most likely if you're getting the kind of traffic that you need to upgrade to a web server, then most likely you have the potential to monetize that traffic and be able to cover your expenses. Monetize by asking for donations, getting a sponsor, using affiliate links, placing ads on your site, whatever, anything like that. If you're getting that amount of traffic, then you can probably pay for the need to upgrade by incorporating some kind of ads into it. But if you're on a virtual private server and you are still wondering if it's time to upgrade, here are some other things that you could consider if it's time to upgrade to a VPS. If you have a very complex website that's running advanced tools and maybe hosting certain things like a web app on your site, then you may need a dedicated server instead of VPS hosting or dedicated instead of shared hosting. If you're getting a thousand or more unique daily visitors or somewhere around there in the thousands or more of unique daily visitors, you should consider upgrading to dedicated. If you get 10,000 or more daily page views, consider upgrading. A hundred or more simultaneous visitors to your site, 
consider upgrading. Now, of course, with both of these options, if your web host keeps telling you you're using too much RAM, you're using too much CPU, you need to upgrade to a VPS or dedicated or add more RAM or anything like that, if they keep telling you that and you've already tried to optimize your site with those seven things I recommended earlier, then it's probably time to upgrade. So my recommendation, though, for a web hosting company for virtual private servers and dedicated servers is HostDime. I met these guys at Blogworld in New York in 2012, and I was really impressed with their offerings and their prices, especially very affordable prices. And check them out through my affiliate link at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash HostDime. They have been very good uh, with the hosting and the prices are really great. You can get a virtual private server starting at $50 per month. Now look at other services out there and you might be starting at $75 per month for the exact same thing or maybe even less than HostTime is offering. And you can even go up from there that you can get a virtual private server with four gigabytes of RAM on your server and lots of bandwidth and storage space for $90 a month. And I was with them for VPS for quite a while, and then I needed to upgrade to dedicated, and their dedicated servers start at very reasonable prices. So check that out at theaudacitypodcast.com slash hostdime, that's H-O-S-T-D-I-M-E. Or if you want to check out the shared hosting options, you can get those links at the show notes or slash Bluehost for Bluehost or slash HostGator for, you guessed it, HostGator. So have a website for your podcast, have hosting for that site. That's my top recommendation. The best you can do for hosting your website and then look to upgrade when you need it. Now let's talk about media hosting. Media hosting is something that many podcasters don't realize that they actually need. Because you need to realize something here that websites are typically under one megabyte each. And that that's a big website, actually. If a single page is one megabyte. That's counting the images, the HTML, any kind of JavaScript or CSS or videos or anything that's loading on the page. I'm sorry, not videos, but stuff that's loading on the page as is. That's contributing to the size of the page. And one megabyte is big for a single page of a site. Now, your entire site yeah, might be bigger than a megabyte because you might have many different pages, each with their own images and all of that. But a single page at one megabyte is pretty big. But a lot of those things can be cached by the browser. So similar to web cache, the browser may look at your site and see that you have the same header image on every single page of your site. So the browser will recognize that it's the same web address to that JPEG or PNG image. It's the same image. Nothing about it has changed from page to page. So you can just The browser is then deciding, well, I'm not going to keep downloading this file. I only need to download it once because everyone else is referring, every other page is referring to the exact same file. So that's what the browser can do. So that kind of information is easily cached. And therefore, the demands on a website on its server are usually pretty low. And that's why many web hosting companies will say they offer unlimited storage and unlimited bandwidth. They're thinking about those websites, HTML, CSS, JavaScript. There's a host co- hosting company out there, and I will name them, SiteGround. I used to host with them. I used to be a very loyal 
uh, customer of them until they changed a lot of policies. And one of the, one of those policies was that although they advertise unlimited storage, they do say in their terms that they limit how you can use that limited storage. Like you can host no more than five gigabytes of multimedia in that storage. And I asked them once, what do you expect us to use the rest of the storage space for? If I can only use five gigabytes for multimedia, what's the rest of it supposed to be for? And they said, HTML. That's going to be a lot of HTML to host all of that stuff. That would be like all of Wikipedia in order to actually take advantage of the unlimited storage. And you're not running the next Wikipedia. So these kinds of services are set up to host websites. They're not set up to host podcast files. When you publish a podcast episode, we could say you've got a 25 megabyte MP3 file. That's large. In, in website terms, that's big because, again, websites, one megabyte, actually, usually they're smaller. It's better if they're smaller for a single page of a site. And some of that is cacheable, so it's not re-downloaded every time. So 25 megabytes is pretty big in website terms. Then consider things like video files that get even bigger, especially if you're publishing in high definition. And a podcast episode will have its highest demand within the first three days or so of its release. Each time the file is downloaded, it adds some extra strain to the web server as people are requesting this big file from your server that's contributing to the bandwidth and also contributing to the load on the server just downloading that file. Now, the size of that file does not necessarily reflect on how much of a load it causes on the server. But it does a little bit affect how much it loads on the server. But it's not a direct correlation. And most web hosts just aren't set up to handle this kind of traffic. Many web hosts will actually say you are not allowed to host a podcast on this site, podcast media. Or they might suspend your account for abusing their resources if they see you do this. So that's why I recommend media hosting. Media hosting moves this demand for that podcast file within the first three days where it receives its highest demand. A media host moves that from your website to its own servers where they are designed to handle that kind of burst in demand for your media files, MP3s, M4Vs, MP4s, EIEIOs, whatever files that you have. They are designed to take that kind of traffic And downloading them from them doesn't affect your current website. So there are several options for media hosting for your podcast. The bad or potentially bad option is, as you can probably guess, your own web host. Web hosts may advertise unlimited storage and hosting, but they don't really mean it because they don't expect you to use it in the way that podcasters would need to use it. You may be able to sneak by unnoticed, but you have to have a plan for what to do when you get popular or if your web hosting provider tells you to stop doing that. But make sure you read the terms first because some services will actually forbid it. Dropbox, for example, forbids you from hosting podcast media on their server with your account. So don't abuse the system like that. Don't get suspended. You might be able to go by unnoticed if you're not very popular, if you only get 20 downloads or 50 downloads per episode. 
but you need to have a plan for what happens if you suddenly get popular or your web hosting provider tells you, stop this. One acceptable plan, but I don't really recommend, is archive.org. Archive.org is free. You can host almost anything on archive.org, almost any file size as well. But this service is slow, and once you've uploaded something to archive.org, you cannot replace it. You can't delete it. It's out there. So it's not the best thing, and sometimes both either your web host or archive.org sometimes have technical issues with iTunes. Now, archive.org, more consistently I've seen, does meet the technical requirements of iTunes, and that is that it supports uh, byte range requests. And if you're not sure whether your web host supports that, then ask them. But I know that regular media hosting companies do support byte range requests. That's just a norm in their industry. But archive.org could be an option for you if you absolutely have to have something free, but it will be slow and it's really a mess to work with that. The better option to think about is one that you might have already been thinking about, Amazon S3. S3 is Amazon's really simple storage system that they offer for hosting files that can be accessible from anywhere. And it's very attractive to podcasters and web-savvy people because Amazon can host these files for really low costs. 10 cents per gigabyte per month. That's about the average. It varies based on many different things, but that's about the average for storage. But you pay based on how many times that file is downloaded and how big that file is and how much bandwidth is used. So you might start out with your podcast costing only 10 cents per month to host, but maybe next month you're getting more popular and it costs 20 cents. The next month, 40 cents. The next month, 80 cents. The next month, $2. The next month, $5. The next month, $20. It may not work that much against you, but your expenses will increase exponentially because you will be releasing more episodes. Every single month, you'll have new episodes probably, and your audience will be growing, so you'll, you'll be getting more subscribers. And if you upload something today, you will still be paying for the cost to host it a year from now. So Amazon S3 can work if you're really small and you don't get popular, but if you're suddenly popular, you could easily receive a bill from Amazon for several hundred dollars or even thousands of dollars in expenses if that file was downloaded a bunch of times. So be careful with that. It can work. It's better than archive.org or your own web host, but I don't recommend it because it could be very risky for your finances. The best option I recommend is Libsyn or Blueberry. Libsyn is L-I-B-S-Y-N.com and Blueberry is B-L-U-B-R-R-Y.com. That's the just like the fruit, but without the E's in it. These services are made by podcasters for podcasters. So they understand the needs of podcasters and they have a very different model of hosting. And it can, can be confusing to some people. We might refer to it as rolling storage or monthly upload or monthly storage, but they work on the same basic system where you do get unlimited downloads. So you upload a file, it can be downloaded five times, 
50 times, 5,000 times, you don't pay anything different. The rolling storage is, think about it it like a conveyor belt. You put something on there and it moves slowly across and at one point it's off the conveyor belt and you can put something else on there. When you upload to Libsyn or Blueberry, that file does remain on their servers indefinitely until you actually request them to delete it. But if you sign up for a 50 megabyte plan, for example, you may think, well, I've got more episodes than that. In a year, I'm going to need a gigabyte of space. In two years, I'm going to need two gigabytes. Don't think about it like that. Think about it as how much do you need to upload in a month? So Libsyn, for example, libsyn.com, starts out with a 50 megabyte plan. That may sound tiny, but look at how big your podcast episodes are. Let's say you do a podcast episode twice per month, and each episode ends up being only 20 megabytes. You will never run out of space on Libsyn. Because when you upload a file today, you get that space back in a month. So it's a rolling storage, and then if you upload something two weeks from now, then you get that space back a month from after you upload it. That's what they mean by rolling storage. So you're limited on how much you can upload, and it's not a calendar month. It's a rolling month. So 30 days or a month from now is when you get the space back. 30 days from tomorrow, if you upload something tomorrow, is when you get that space back. So this is a way that you can upload your episodes and get unlimited download, and you're only paying based on how much you need to upload. You may only need 50 megabytes. You may need 100 or 200 megabytes. I am on the 400 megabyte plan because with all the podcasts that I host in Noodle Mix Network, I need a lot of space in order to host all of these files on the server. And so I'm uploading them and I get the space back a little bit later. And Libsyn and Blueberry both provide podcast stats on your download. Yeah, you can get certain stats from Amazon S3. You can get certain stats from your web host, but they're not designed for podcasters and you they're really not that accurate and you really won't understand what's going on with those stats. But Libsyn and Blueberry interprets those stats with certain special algorithms and will show you this is how many downloads you got from iTunes. This is how many downloads you got from Stitcher when that Stitcher update comes out that I've talked about previously. This is how many downloads you got through your website and so on. So you get some awesome stats with these and Libsyn offers stats on some of their higher plans or you can add basic stats to the lowest plan for only $2 extra. And keep in mind, unlimited download. So unlimited bandwidth, just limited on how much you can upload. That's podcast media hosting that I recommend. And especially Libsyn is, there are just a couple extra steps to use Libsyn, but I think it is the better uh, priced service right now. And you can sign up for Libsyn and get a free month by using the promo code noodle when you sign up for any hosting plan that they offer for your podcast. Just use noodle when you sign up and you'll get that free month, at least a free month. And that's at L-I-B-S-Y-N. And Blueberry also has some great plans and they include their great stats in their plans. But they currently don't have an affiliate program, but I'm going to go ahead and ask you, visit Blueberry by going to theaudacitytopodcast.com slash Blueberry. And if they do ever have an affiliate program that I can be a part of, or if I have any promo codes or anything like that, that'll show up at that website address. 
theaudacitypodcast.com slash blueberry. But for now, it'll just take you straight to Blueberry. So I'd love to have your feedback on these different hosting ideas and options. What have you had experience with? What off-the-wall systems have you used that have worked really well? Or what has been your growth pattern with going from shared hosting to VPS to maybe dedicated server to whatever? I'm even changing hosting companies again because I'm realizing that all I need is WordPress hosting. So I'm moving to Synthesis, and I don't have an affiliate link for them, but I'm moving to Synthesis, who's by the people who designed StudioPress, by the way. So it's designed to run best with Genesis themes and designed to run best and to only host WordPress sites. So when people host their WordPress sites with Synthesis, they run really fast. It's not cheap. It is actually a little bit cheaper than the dedicated server I was working with, but it is the direction I'm going soon with very, very soon, actually, within the next few days of uh, with my own podcast sites. And I'm looking forward to that move because I only need a uh, WordPress host for most of my sites. Now, some of my other sites are not WordPress and uh, will be running other things. That's where I would be looking at maybe a shared hosting account for some of those other older sites that aren't on WordPress. So I'd love to have your thoughts. Please comment at the show notes on theaudacitypodcast.com slash 133. And of course, you can get all the links that I mentioned and review the outline of all of this information. Did you notice a difference with my voice in this episode? I switched to using the Electro Voice RE20 microphone. This microphone is a bit more expensive than the Heil PR40, but I think a little bit higher quality And it's certainly more popular among professional radio hosts and recording studios out there using the Electro Voice RE20. And I'm doing a review of this coming up soon. It will be a special video review, so make sure that you subscribe to my video updates. You can subscribe either on YouTube at theaudacitypodcast.com slash YouTube or in iTunes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash iTunes video. I'll be reviewing and comparing not only the RE20, but also its little brother, the RE320. I'll be comparing those three microphones against each other, as well as comparing them to the Audio-Technica ATR2100 USB, and even the Nady SP1 super cheap little dynamic mic, so you'll be able to hear the differences in these sounds. So watch for those reviews over at theaudacitypodcast.com slash YouTube or slash iTunes video. I'm speaking at a conference coming up on August 2nd through the 3rd. It's called the Business of Writing International Summit, and you can check out more at businessofwritingsummit.com. This is in Louisville, Kentucky at the Indiana Wesleyan University, and it is a conference for writers who want to make a business of their writing, whether this is blogging, writing ebooks, writing articles for newspapers or magazines, or writing traditional books, whatever, any kind of writing turned into a business has a place at the Business of Writing International Summit. I'd love to see you there if you're interested in writing. I'll be presenting two sessions there for writers, specially designed for them. One will be why you should podcast and how to do it right. And the second session I'll present is how to get feedback from your readers. This really applies to any kind of audience member, whether they're reading or listening or watching 
but it will have some cool ideas for how to get feedback from your readers, even if they're reading a printed item where they can't just click something, but they can uh, see some cool things in your print material in order to give you feedback. So that will be at the Business of Writing International Summit. Check them out at businessofwritingsummit.com on August 2nd through the 3rd in Louisville, Kentucky. This is hosted by Larry and Peggy Decay. Actually, previous clients of mine. I designed the podcast cover art for the business of writing today. And I really like that podcast cover art and they do too. They've got it on the website, actually businessofwritingsummit.com. So check out that conference and I'd love to see you there. And if you are there and you listen to the audacity to podcast, then say hi to me or maybe attend my session or whatever. I'd love to see you there. Businessofwritingsummit.com. And speaking of design, by the way, I am really excited to have an actively engaging website design project that's really taking up a lot of my time and focus. So I won't be able to accept any kind of new design projects like podcast cover art or website design until probably September 2013. But if you really need some podcast cover art designed, then I do have some affiliates that I can work with. So go ahead and still email me if you're interested in that. But in the meantime, I am still offering one-on-one consulting to help you launch or improve your podcast. Please go to theaudacitypodcast.com slash consulting if you're interested in checking that out. And I would love to help you launch or improve your podcast, help you fix a podcasting problem, help you understand something, teach you how to do something with your podcast, whatever your needs are there with podcasting. I'd love to help you with that. So check that out at theaudacitypodcast.com slash consulting. You can get the show notes for this episode at theaudacitypodcast.com slash 133. And I would love to have your feedback and suggestions for future episodes of the Audacity to Podcast. Just email feedback at theaudacitypodcast.com or leave a voicemail at 903-231-2221. You can also go to theaudacitypodcast.com on your computer or iOS device and send a voice message right through the website. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at the ramen noodle. And now that I've given you some of the guts and taught you some of the tools, it's time for you to go podcast with passion, organization, and dialogue. I'm Daniel J. Lewis from the Audacity to Podcast. Thank you for listening. The Audacity to Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Like you can have personal productivity in your life from beyond the to-do list. You can theorize over Once Upon a Time from Once Podcast. You can laugh with our clean comedy podcast, The Ramen Noodle. You can build critical thinking for movies with Are You Just Watching or build a Christian worldview from Christian Meets World and more to come all at noodle.mx. The Audacity to Podcast is also a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Find more at techpodcast.com. There are so many podcasts there about medical technology, business technology, mobile technology, website technology, Windows technology, Mac technology, 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 tech news, and so much more. And all of the podcasts are family-friendly, which I appreciate, and I know that many of you, my listeners, appreciate too. So please check it out, techpodcast.com.